you can practically smell it in the air. Football is almost back, and we are back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. I'm Sean Fitz, soon to be joined by Andrew Callahan, who's on the road covering Big Ten Media Days. Uh, Yeah, camp a little bit less than a week away. Penn State getting ready to go. Uh, Big Ten Media Days, typically the final nail in the coffin for the summer for right before camp, and uh, had a little bit of news coming out of it. We'll catch up with Andrew here in a little bit. Penn State's still riding the wave of the Lash Bash. We will get into recruiting a little bit later, have an interview with Judge Culpepper coming. A fantastic interview. I, the kid just kind of blew me away when I talked to him last week for this. Uh, so excited to hear that, and uh, I guess we should get rolling. Andrew, thanks for joining us from the road. You're not on vacation yet, but uh, you've certainly earned it with the last couple of days in Chicago. It's been a busy one for Big Ten Media Days. How was everything in the Windy City? Oh, Chicago was fantastic. I uh, got to catch a, a Cubs game right when I got into town with a couple of the other writers. And Monday, Tuesday was nonstop interviews, chatting, uh, of course, with players and coaches on hand, but also, you know, different journalists who are in town. So very good, productive couple of days. Do you have any impressions coming out with uh, whether it be Franklin or, or the Penn State players were there? Any Anything that really jumped out to you? I think this was your first Big Ten Media Day. Anything that really jumped out to you about the experience? Yeah, it was. It was It was my first Big Ten Media Days. And when you look at the players who had joined, you know, these, these are guys that if you're on the beat or you follow the team very closely, are available all the time. Mike Kosicki, Marcus Allen, J.C. Kambinda. So there wasn't anything terribly noticeable or notable, rather, from them. Uh, but but Franklin, in particular, with the hour-long session that we had, he even joked, like, oh, this is this is quite long. And you could see him loosen up a little bit toward the end. And that's when we got the comment about, you know, is your, the delay of your contract extension coming from uh, perhaps lobbying for a greater salary for the assistance team was just a big flat-out no. So I think that was my big takeaway. It was the very last question of the session. I wrote about it. It was the lead to one of my handful of notebooks from the weekend. So, you know, chatting with the three guys who were all seniors was, was great. Gave you good info. Uh, but but that note from Franklin, I think, was the thing that stood out most to me from the last couple of days. Yeah, from being out there before, it, some of those throwaway lines are sometimes the most interesting thing. And uh, yeah, that's where you get most of your, your juice from, I guess. But, uh, yeah, if you haven't been on the site, Andrew's been pumping out content the last couple of days, uh, going on vacation the next couple of days, so he's earned it. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I, I think the first thing coming out of Big Ten Media Day, Joey Julius no longer with the program. It's unfortunate considering everything he's been through. And, and, and from the football side of things, he was a tremendous weapon for Penn State last year and somebody that they'd love to have uh, doing kickoffs again this year. For sure. Just shy of 50% of all his kickoffs went for touchbacks a year ago. So, you know, you're basically pinning your opponent back every single time. Uh, you know, some of those kicks were deliberately left short. I think it kind of depends on the opponent. But what it does now is it puts more on the plate of either probably Tyler Davis or Blake Gillikin. Of course, Alex Barbier is still in that mix. But what allowed each of them to thrive in their own different roles, Davis, Julius, uh, and Gillikin, is the fact that they could hone in and focus on strictly punting, place kicking, or kicking off. So now that you know, one of them will have to add these kickoff duties. I think it, you know, perhaps has a uh, chance to lessen you know, the success they have doing what they just did. Strictly. Uh, but then again, they're each going to be a year older, stronger, wiser, better. And for a guy like Davis, who has aspirations of going to play in the NFL, you know, kicking off is something that's going to have to be a part of the job. So this might be just an opportunity for him. But Julius is in, is in no doubt a loss. Uh, you know, he seems to be in a decent place, at least from you know, his recent tweets. Interpret them as you, as you may. He's no longer in St. Louis where he had gone back to receive treatment. So you wish the best for him. I don't get the sense it's entirely a, a closed door. Uh, but, of course, that there's no expectation of a return uh, in the near future. Yeah, and I think everybody would love to see him back. Um, you know, just a, a, a character that's sort of 
taken on a life of his own in the last couple of years, but he could also really kick the football, and, and he was definitely a weapon for Penn State. Uh, a couple other guys that will be back, uh, Brendan Mann, Andrew Nelson, Nick Bowers, some positive news on, on them from Chicago, from James Franklin. Yeah, and you know, if you've been following along with the site, we get to check in with Andrew Nelson around Live for Life and wait it out to him first question, like, hey, are you going to be available for training camp? Can he be ready for the season? And, you know, he gave the same spiel that we always get, which is understandable. We don't talk about injuries here, but I will tell you that I will be participating in camp and I'm working to be ready to go for the season. Well, Franklin at Big Ten Media Days took that one step further and said he's going to be a major part of the offense, as will man. Both are going to be ready to go for camp. So it wasn't entirely breaking news in that sense, but it was notable in the fact that this was the most definitive statement we had from Franklin about either of their statuses. And that, you know, if he's going to go on that limb where basically we don't hear about injuries unless the one extreme he's going to play or the other at the season ender, that, you know, the fact that in this middle ground he was able to go say definitively they're going to be major parts, I think, boats good uh, news for them and their ability to contribute moving forward. And last year for Bowers, another definitive statement, he'll be ready to go from, uh, from day one, is, is great for Penn State's depth. And I don't know if you'll see him play a whole lot. Again, it's very much a one-tight-end system. But if Mike Kosicki goes down, Penn State is much better off than they were a year ago. Yeah, absolutely. You've got uh, Nick Bowers and John Holland there that can definitely fill that void. And, and Bowers is a big body. I mean, Jasicki, uh, as good as he is, I don't think anybody is is going to draft him for his blocking ability. And, and Bowers is a guy that can get in there and mix it up. They were expecting him to play last year before he got hurt. Holland had a great spring. So all of a sudden, that tight end depth goes from Jasicki and Jasicki to a couple of guys that can come in, so maybe you can you can throw more uh, more down the field to Jasicki, bring him off the field, get him a blow, and and get those guys in there and work. So I think it's a big deal for that uh, position moving forward. Uh, another position moving forward that I think is in good hands at the top of the depth chart, Saquon Barkley. You wrote about uh, the Big Ten's view of him and, and stopping him, and so far not everybody has been successful. Obviously, he's a phenomenal player, but how do yeah. you? How, how first off, how would you attack Saquon Barkley if you're a defensive coordinator? And then, and then what? What did some of the coaches in the Big Ten say about uh, having to deal with him on a weekly basis? Well, you know, to be honest, it's always great getting to check in with Penn State players. And, of course, Franklin, he gets to know a little bit more about the team that, hey, this is the whole reason why I'm here is to cover this team, this program, where it's going, where it's been, and where it is right now. But the day prior on Monday, before Penn State had arrived, and chatting with coaches and players from all around the Big Ten, kind of posing that question, how do you handle one of the best players in college football, and perhaps arguably the best in the Big Ten? And, and the first player that I approached was linebacker from Michigan State, Chris Fry, and he said, listen, like, we did a good job of reading our keys in Michigan. They held Barkley to 14 yards, but we just got pounded by the deep pass. So basically what you have to do, as Michigan State did, was get in the backfield nonstop. A lot of TFLs before he can take a step forward, force him to move laterally. And then I went around to Tom Allen, who's the Indiana head coach, and that's essentially a game plan that while Indiana didn't hold Barkley to 14 yards, he had 33 carries for about 65, I believe, when Penn State went to Bloomington, which is an average of less than two yards per carry, which is the lowest any FBS back has ever recorded when they've received at least 33 carries. So Indiana had the same thing, a very much attacking game plan where you're slanting your line, you're sending guys through gaps and trying to get into the backfield because if he's allowed to get started and get some momentum moving forward towards the line, that's, of course, when he's at his most dangerous, not only in a straight line, but able to make those cuts around tacklers. Of course, he can't do that if the tackler is there to meet him as he's receiving the ball. Uh, DJ Durkin went around to, to different, you know, kind of generalities about leverage, which I think makes a lot of sense. You're going to have missed tackles, but there are differences between good and, and bad missed tackles. Bad, of course, meaning if you're the last line of defense or if you're not forcing the player at least 
into your area of support, knowing how your defense is put together in a given play call. And other players, you know, had a mix of those different answers. So basically, you know, last year Penn State's line, while it was improved, was still very porous, particularly in short yardage and, and allowing those TFLs. So if they're able to shore up, you know, the, those backfield invasions, Barkley, of course, is going to have a much better year this year, and there might not be a, a great game plan to stop him. It's truly a case of we can't stop him. You can only hope to contain him. By the way, Andrew, sitting in his car along 95 north of Baltimore right now, just bringing all that stuff up from memory. I mean, he's uh, he's a sharp guy. But uh, going back to the offensive line, James Franklin uh, almost closed his press conference talking about how excited they were uh, to, uh, moving forward with the offensive line, said it could be a strength. Last year, I think Pro Football Focus had Saquon Barkley down for 23% uh, of his carries went for negative yardage or zero yards. Uh, if you can mm-hmm. even cut that in half. I mean, I, I, I have you know, high hopes for this offensive line as well, but even cutting that number in half is, is kind of scary. Right. And someone asked Franklin over the past couple of days about just the nature of the explosive offense and some of the effect of, you know, can you repeat that? Is that possible? You were top five in the country in explosive play. And his answer essentially was, was no, but perhaps we won't have to be because the reason Penn State had to rely so often on the deep ball, not only is it their strength, you want to throw deep balls up to guys like Chris Godwin, tight black on Mike Kosicki, but the fact that they were so often behind schedule, behind the chains, facing those third and seven to 10, or perhaps even 10 and more. So you've got to go deep. And, and if Penn State can, you know, like you said, cut down on those negative yards or, or zero yard rushes, which I think people forget. Again, Penn State doesn't have to have a great line or even a good line. If they get to average, they're going to do some damage because last year it was still well below average. And what Mal Eingarver told me is that they're just trying to catch up to the all big 10 talent around him. So Penn State might not even be as explosive as they, as they were last season coming into 2017, but they don't have to be. They just have to be better at staying on schedule, getting those steady games, and they'll have you know even greater ways to beat teams other than big plays and making big comebacks. And fullbacks, obviously, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. And I, I know I promised this in a, in a tweet about a month and a half ago, and I've had people getting on me about this, that I promised that the fullback is not actually truly dead in Penn State's offense. That piece is coming in August. I, I'm working on it. It had to be put in the back burner. We had, uh, I, you might have missed it, a lot of recruiting news at the beginning of the month. Uh, so didn't want to post that exactly during you know all the commits coming up, board, but it is coming, and it's an interesting uh, perspective and look at, at how the offense is constructed and, and how you look at a certain position and, and while it kind of mirrors what Penn State used to do in the past. Yeah, yeah, huge month on the site, and e- even bigger, uh, I think the news coming out last uh, over the weekend, uh, actually, excuse me, earlier this week, Kale Sanderson got his extension. I know this is a football podcast, but I think we're going to tie this back into football. And obviously, if you're a Penn State football fan, you love what the wrestling program has done under Kale Sanderson. He's just, he's a beast, man. I, I don't know how else to, to, to put it. He, uh, agreement in place for his, ext- for his extension, Sandy Barber said out in uh, Big Ten Media Days. What do you think that means for James Franklin as they try to hammer out the details of his extension? I'm not sure the two are related uh, too much, but I, I think it was notable that, you know, of course, he gets a deal done, and it, it, to him, if you're Franklin, you, you realize that Penn State has less on its plate now that Kale has been taken care of. So all of their focus and their resources moving forward don't have to be, well, we have to, you know, get deals done for multiple high-profile coaches on campus. You're really just looking at him now. And to, to Penn State's benefit, you know, they only have to release the details in the contracts of the football coach, men's and women's basketball, per uh, the board of trustees. So the details on, on Sanderson's deal were not released. You know, not that, again, the, the market value for wrestling coach is going to be or the football. But, you know, at least publicly, we don't know how much Kale got, what the length was. And for, for Franklin, you know, I, I tweeted about this earlier, that I don't think 
what's holding up this deal is necessarily base salary. And he's come out and said it's not assistant salaries either. So the haggling that's going on, you know, and Barber said it is going to continue to delay. I don't think it's related to wrestling. Uh, but I, I think the fact that you, you, as Franklin, who has a lot of leverage right now, perhaps picked up a tiny bit more seeing that, hey, this is a big priority for you. Let's let's be frank. We're having great success. We should have a great year coming up. And, and I'm the only guy now who, who needs a big extension. No doubt. And I think there's parallels with the wrestling program and the football program. Obviously, the wrestling program, as dominant as any college athletic program in the country right now, uh, Penn State, but coming oh, yeah. off the Big Ten title uh, in football is, is obviously a huge deal. Both have leverage. And I think both are, aren't looking for that base salary jump. I think it's a lot to commitment to program, facilities, um, for, in terms of football return on investment that James Franklin has talked about before. Um, so I think it's uh, you're not going to see Franklin's salary jump all that much, but you're going to see the, the assistants taken care of, which which uh, you were told they were done. Uh, facility commitments, and, and that's, a, that's a fine line because that's not just coming from the pool of money where, where they're going to pay their coaches or whatnot. They've got to do some fundraising and, and get commitments for the Lash Building and for Haluba and, and Beaver Stadium and things like that. So there's a lot of details to, to iron out. Uh, we've been hearing this extension has been close to done for a couple of months now. Um, so I think it's just a couple things to come across the finish line. And I think uh, I, I wouldn't worry about them getting it done. It's just a matter of uh, of how much leverage Franklin has and, and how much he can push back and how much they're going to concede for the football program because I think uh, he's not going anywhere. I mean, he's, he's not taking another job. He's a guy that uh, is no. looking to build this program as his own. Um, you know, obviously there's a lot coming before that, but as his own little pet project, um, he looking, he's looking to be at Penn state for a long time. And I think that this extension, um, will get him toward where he wants to be. But, uh, I think it's all more about the program than anything right now. Yeah. And, and Sandy said as much, you know, like I, she, she wouldn't reveal any details, but that I can guarantee you that, you know, James is hundred percent committed to us. We're 100% committed to James. He will be here long-term. He's a perfect fit. And even saw our tweet later in the day on uh, Tuesday about, you know, oh, I love this guy so much. And, you know, he's wheeling luggage out of the hotel as they're about to set the leave. So I think, you know, there's obviously professional respect there. There, there are reasons for both parties to get this done. And, and I asked her, you know, is the reason for this delay, which she brought up is this is probably taking longer than anyone would have thought. Are the reasons for the delay new, or is it just kind of the same old development? And she just gave me a non-answer. So she, she's generally tight-lipped about those things. Uh, and like I said, I think it was notable at the outset of this, this interview that, you know, Franklin was able to come out and say, no, the assistants have been done because we had other programs coming to look to hire them as, as you'll have for any championship team, you know, from outside interest. So we couldn't wait to get that done if we wanted to retain the staff. Of course, all Penn State staff is coming back. And as you mentioned, you know, right now the haggling is over things like facilities, um, you know, money that's able to come in and, you know, it's it's complicated. It's it's not even so much that the head-on battle between Franklin or the administration or how much that's going to get done, but where that money might come from. It's the donors, you know, and all the, the last building taking a little bit more time, whether that's donor money or school or how they're going to allocate those resources. So, you know, I, I think they both feel like they stand on firmer ground. How this season goes will obviously, you know, dictate where the leverage goes from here. Um, and, and, you know, I think Franklin stating outwardly, of course, does him a benefit, too, that, listen, you know, the fans are... are have reason to support him. He's had great success. They should only be better this year. But also the fact that they learned, like, hey, this contract, as he said, is not about me. It's about the resources. Well, you know, what Penn State fan in their in their right mind would want to side with, with, with the administration who's kind of holding back on giving more to this program. So there's more to come. Like you said, I don't think there's any doubt this will get done. 
Um, you know, there were some interesting comments, but, you know, at the end of the day, it's nothing of concern if you're a fan looking like, why hasn't this been, been finalized? And Andrew, one more thing. I've been wondering since Sunday night, how much better is Wrigley Field than Fenway Park? <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm going to be at Fenway in a couple of days. Get to spend some time on Monday, but I will tell you this. When I stepped in there, and it was the right circumstances, the Cardinals game, that night, the win would have put them in first place as it did. I was like, this is really testing my like fanhood that I was born into with the Red Sox and Fenway. So I will have an answer for you next podcast, uh, which no one will remember or really care about at that point. But I will say Wrigley is, is just as good as I remember Fenway being from past season. And, and if you are a baseball fan, even in this, the smallest way, you have to get to a game at Wrigley. It's an experience like nothing else. Absolutely. Absolutely. Andrew, thanks for joining us. We'll have you back on next week. Yeah, looking forward to it, pal. Always great to hear from Andrew. Uh, I tell you, sharp kid, knows his stuff uh, all over the place with those stats and everything. He's a great follow on Twitter, a great follow on the site. So check him out if you haven't already, which you should have by now. Anyway, moving on, going to talk some recruiting now. As I mentioned earlier, great interview with Judge Culpepper uh, last week. Penn State got him to start off the Lash Bash weekend. I guess it was Friday when he was up a couple days before that. Uh, Called James Franklin, committed. Uh, good pickup, going to be a defensive tackle for Penn State, and uh, he talked a little bit about his future, why he picked Penn State, and more right here. Here with Judge Culpepper, new Penn State commit, going to play on the defensive line for the Nittany Lions. Judge, thanks for joining us. Oh, I'm glad to be here. This so, is awesome. So you committed last week. Tell us a little bit about your decision. Um, why Penn State? Why now? What did it for you? Um, honestly, the, it was the coaches. There there's some unbelievable people up there. I mean, the, the, the whole program is just on the rise. And, and I wasn't sure, you know, I, I came in on a visit and I wasn't sure if I was going to commit or not. And, you know, by the time the second day rolled around, it, it was apparent, you know, this was the place for me. And, and, and there's no doubt in my mind that I needed to come be a line. What did Coach Franklin have to say to you uh, a little bit earlier? You mentioned Coach Smith, Coach Spencer, Coach Gaddis, some recruited you. What did they say to you to get you interested in the first place and then to get you up here for two separate visits? I mean, they really didn't have to say much. Penn State as a whole, it, I mean, it speaks volumes by itself. I mean, the, the school, the program, it's, it's just an amazing place. And, um, you know, they came down and they saw me and they were like, you, you'd be a Penn State guy, you need to come take a visit up here. And I was like, there's no doubt. And um, the first visit I took, it was kind of rough. There was like a, some plane debacle, so it was hard to get up, you know, and, and whatever. And, and I had a little bit written it off, like, oh, this will probably be a bad visit, but I was blown away when I got here. It was it was amazing, and um, all the coaches were so cool. They all knew who I was, and I was like, geez, I've only talked to, like, two or three of you guys. You know, it's crazy, and and, um, and from then on, I mean, we just had a great relationship. I was texting a lot of the coaches all the time, and then um, uh, came up for the second visit, and, uh, and that sealed the deal. Sounds good. You just keep growing and growing and growing. What – kind of role do they foresee you playing on the defensive line at Penn State? Um, they'll, they'll probably see me as, you know, putting on, you know, 20, 30 more pounds and being a three technique, which I could do easily. You know, right now I'm about 265 and thin. So, um, you know, I'm, I feel good. You know, I, I really like that. I, I feel good about what they, what they see me as. And, and I'm training like that too. My dad, he played a, he played three technique in the NFL. So he knows a little bit about the position and, and, um, uh, you know, I have his blessing and, and his, his mentorship as far as that goes. You went home, called coaches, and then called Coach Franklin. What was that whole process like, and how happy are you to have a decision in the bank? God, it, it's it's amazing. I'm, I'm very, very happy to be to be done, you know. There were some rough phone calls. I mean, 
Um, I really had a good relationship with a bunch of different coaches, you know, with, with Nebraska and Syracuse and, and LSU and Florida especially. Um, but, I mean, it, it was that much sweeter when I called Coach Franklin. I was like, all right, let's do it. Let's make it official. And, and they all went crazy. It was awesome. Awesome, awesome. Well, thanks for joining us, Judge. Really appreciate the insight. Uh, good luck to you in, in this upcoming season, and thanks for joining us. All right, thank you so much. Have a good one. So there you go with Judge Culpepper. Again, another good interview from him. He was very generous with his time, very happy to have him on the podcast, and he was happy to talk to us, which is always a plus. Regarding his recruitment, I think it's a good win for Penn State. They recruited the heck out of him. Josh Gaddish, Sean Spencer, Terry Smith, James Franklin, all in on that. Uh, when, a, when a recruit that plays on the defensive line is wanted by someone like LSU, you probably want him too. And I think that's uh, you know that speaks to his talent and, and a little bit more. So like the pickup, he's going to play defensive tackle for Penn State. I th- thought it was funny. He mentioned uh, some travel problems. He actually had to hop in a van from Dulles on his first trip to make it up to State College, which is what they do sometimes when that flight is canceled. Not exactly the easiest place in the world to fly into. But anyway, Penn State with 20 commits right now, only a few spots left. The numbers crunch is real, and it's happening. Two commitments on the defensive line with Culpepper and Dorian Hardy. So I think that's the biggest area of focus, no doubt. Uh, Still waiting out to Aeneas Hawkins and P.J. Mustafer, two guys that Penn State felt pretty good about coming out of the Lash Bash. Uh, Haven't really ruled them out deciding in the near future. Could be uh, something to watch for Penn State. Of course, they're going to they're gonna have room for Jason Owe, uh, who was in town for the Lash Bash as well. Really impressed the coaches there at camp on Friday night. And, uh, you know, he went to Notre Dame, went to Ohio State. It's probably a Penn State-Ohio State battle. He's going to be back and forth a few times. Wanted to decide originally uh, in August, but he's probably going to push it back a little bit, maybe take some more visits. Uh, probably not the worst news in the world for Penn State. I think the big thing is that he didn't commit to Ohio State when he was at Friday Night Lights, and I think that's a big deal. Uh, Tyreek Smith, another guy that's been on the board forever. Penn State loves him. He could be a D-end. He could be a three-technique down the line. Uh, another Penn State-Ohio State battle, as is the case with Micah Parsons. I mean, there's no question about that, that uh, those are the top two schools in my mind. He's going to see more schools. Uh, he's going to play this thing out and probably announce an all-star game in January. So uh, strap in if you want to follow along with this one. Tyler Friday, Marcellus Erlington, uh, a couple of teammates from Jersey still on the defensive line board. So if you look at the number of spots that Penn State has, which is not many, they still need probably uh, two, maybe three more defensive linemen. Uh, you still got guys like Rasheed Walker, TJ Bradley, and Juice Scruggs uh, on the board as offensive linemen. Jahan Dotson, Solomon Enos at receiver. Quantel Reigns is probably a safety linebacker hybrid. Uh, don't know that you need another linebacker in this class if you got three already, and, and they've recruited the position fairly heavily over the last couple of years with the guys that they think can grow into linebackers. And then, of course, Houston Griffith uh, probably going to take an official visit. He's hoping for the Michigan game. So you don't need defensive backs right now. Griffith is is one of the top in the country. Reigns is obviously an in-state kid, so that matters. So, so I think Penn State pretty much wrapped up with their class of 2018 before we get into the season, which it probably had them going in and into the season with probably 18 or 19 commits, but they got hot at the Lash Bash. There's 20 right now. Uh, you know, whether you want to count Shaquan Anderson butts or not, he's probably a 2019 kid or beyond, uh, given his academic situation. So not many spots left. Uh, I think we're going to see some, some pressure turned up on some of these defensive linemen, and, and you could see a couple decisions here in the next couple of weeks. So 
until then, that's uh, that's probably all I got. I'm heading out on vacation. Andrew's taking off a couple days. We'll be back in next week uh, recording a podcast, so look forward to that. Don't forget to check us out on iTunes. Rate us on iTunes. Check out the site. we got a bunch of good stuff coming, even though we're, we are on vacation. So uh, until next time, thanks for joining us. Oh, no, no.